Episode 62 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles. A tool from my bat belt. Right, team, welcome along to episode 62 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles, your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness and all the benefits that come alongside them. Well, welcome along to this week's show or this fortnight's show. I've got a, a bit of a mix-up show with you guys today. I've got a few subjects I've been on my mind recently. It's going to be one of those shows where I'm just going to chuck lots of subjects at you and uh, hopefully you can get some insight from those in today's show. There is one thing I'm going to talk about a little bit before I start the main gist of today's show, and it's just uh, in New Zealand right now, or in England right now actually, they've got the Rugby World Cup happening, and uh, for any rugby fan, it's kind of like the pinnacle of the rugby <coughs> kind of calendar, the four-year calendar, every four years they have the Rugby World Cup, and the All Blacks, which is New Zealand's biggest team of all time, have um, are the current champions, and we've won it twice, only two, it's only been going since 1987, and in that time... Of all the teams that have won it, no one has won it more than twice. And so it's the first opportunity that you, you may see a team winning it third time because Australia, South Africa, New Zealand have won it twice each. I think England's won it once and that's it. So, you know, there's a real hope that New Zealand can be the first team to win it. And uh, it's interesting, I was writing a press piece this week about the All Black captain. Now, if, I know I've got a lot of New Zealand listeners, but I've also got a lot of listeners all around the world. And the, the All Black captain in New Zealand is a guy by the name of Richie McCaw. And Richie McCaw seems to be, as a sportsman, the definition of greatness. There's nothing you can say less about the man. In his time as an athlete, he has achieved some pretty phenomenal things. He's been an All Black for 14 years. Now, if you don't know much about rugby, it's an extremely physical game. And it was funny, I wrote a press, a press piece about Richie McCaw to go on the paper this week, and I went back and looked at the team of All Blacks, the names he was playing with 14 years ago. And, you know, these guys were guys that you wouldn't even, you know, they, it was past generations. And he's still playing today in a, in a very physical sport. And some could argue one of the most physically challenging positions in a very physical sport. So the fact that a guy like him who plays in a way which just puts his body on the line has continued to have a, you know an ongoing career at the level he has played at for that long is, is pretty mind-blowing. Now, we can look at the longevity of his career, but oh, there's just so, so many other things to be impressed about, like the, the fitness testing that the All Blacks do. Now, the All Blacks are such a successful sporting team. In the last four years, they've only lost three games in the last four years. The, in the modern era, I, I'm, I could be wrong, but I think they are the most successful sporting team in the world. Richie McCaw, since playing for the All Blacks, has had a 90% win rate, which is really quite mind-blowing. Uh, but in that 14 years, you know, he's, he's 34 now, and in, in this game, he's an old man, really. He still wins the fitness testing in the All Blacks, and he has continuously won the fitness testing in the All Blacks for his whole career. And uh, where else can I go with this? You know, obviously his winning record is, is massive. Uh, his character is massive. Just everything about this man represents what it's like to be a hero. And I think there's two things I want to talk about here. Because the one thing that for those people who don't live in New Zealand and maybe don't understand the, the importance of rugby in New Zealand, uh, the All Blacks walk around with an extreme amount of pressure on their shoulders. Now, I'm sure in every country, sporting teams experience that, but if the All Blacks lose one game, and I'm not joking, if they lose one game, the whole country turns on them like like vicious foxes coming to attack, like it's mind-blowing to see the experience. And a few years ago, I was doing a public talk, and at the, the conference I was speaking at, the All Black captain, I'm sorry, the All Black coach of the time, a guy by the name of Sir Graham Henry, was also speaking at that talk and I was very fortunate because I got to sit down and have dinner with Graham and we are just sitting next to each other and I was just kind of, I'm always fascinated, you know, because a lot of the people I deal with in my world are people who maybe aren't that fit or who I'm trying, you know, everyday people who are trying to achieve fitness goals. 
But the All Black coach is dealing with the most motivated, physically conditioned athletes you could deal with in the world. And so it's a different kind of game to play. And, uh, and he was talking a little bit about why he believes the All Blacks will be the greatest rugby team for a long time to come. And his answer basically was that he believes the All Blacks will be the greatest rugby team for a long time to come because the pressure the New Zealand public puts on them. We we put so much pressure on them, there's such a high expectation that the cost of them losing is so, so high. And this pressure that they put on themselves is one of the reasons that, you know, it's, it's you know it's the punishment's just too high you, you don't want to lose and that pressure creates greatness and you know you've got to think that Richie McCaw who's been the All Black captain for probably around 10 years or you know at least 7 or 8 years of his 14 years career as an All Black has lived under this constant microscope of high expectations around what he should deliver and as I look at Richie McCaw and his attitude to his sporting career I see him as a hero because I like I often think about what Graham's comment around this whole expectation of the All Blacks and you'll see it like I don't really listen to a lot of radio but and when I'm driving the car I'll listen to a bit of sports radio and I have to admit I do enjoy a bit of sports radio and you'll hear people when the All Blacks will lose a game and man these people are just are just picking 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 at these guys and you know, if we were to put the microscope on these people in the everyday life, I guarantee very few of them are living to a standard that these guys in the All Blacks maintain for themselves. And when we look at the person who seems to have maintained that highest standard for a very long time, Richie McCaw sits in that place. Here's a man who seems to unturn every stone to continually improve as an athlete. And that's what I admire a lot about Richie McCaw because it's not that his career hasn't had upsets. Uh, he, he lost his first World Cup as an All Black captain. There has been some times where his form has been questioned. But every time Richie McCaw has, has faced adversity, he's taken it as an opportunity to grow as a person. And I, and I really admire that about him. And, and, you know, when I go back to that whole concept of people who are so critical of these high level people, if we were to put the magnifying glass on their life, I guarantee not many. Very few people would be living to the level that Richie McCaw chases in his standard of being an athlete. And I just sometimes think that it's so easy to be critical of people, but to actually, the, the unfortunate thing about it is maybe we lose what we can admire in them. And Richie McCaw as an athlete is a man who, to me, is a real hero. And a hero in that what he offers to us to reflect upon. Because I think ultimately when we look at Richie McCaw, we think in New Zealand at least, he represents a lot of what's the best of New Zealand. Like as a country, this man represents hard work. He works, you know, the never give up your attitude. He represents, you know, kind of a humbleness. You know, Kiwi sports people aren't meant to be kind of loud and boisterous and say how great we are, you know. In American sport, that's quite a big thing. Or well, if an all-black were to do that, they'd be frowned upon. And, and Richie McCaw encapsulates all of those kind of characteristics that we really believe in in New Zealand. And, uh, and, I, and I think sometimes we should use our sports stars to actually help us reflect upon that within ourselves. You know, look, when I look at Richie McCaw and I look at, you know, it's interesting, I'm thinking about, I'm in the last part of my kind of group fitness career, I've probably got a few more years to go, but I'm definitely in the last part of it. And, you know, that kind of, I'm not sure if legacy is the right word, but am I doing everything in this last part to be as great as what I can possibly be in this last part? And when I look at what McCaw's doing, I, I self-reflect and I kind of go, maybe I aren't. And would, would it be more satisfying if I did? Well, yes, it would. And sometimes I think when we look at these people who we can be quite critical of if they're not perfect, we can sometimes lose what they can offer us in their own inspiration around who they are. And to me, Richie McCaw as an athlete is a hero. And to look at him and to reflect on why he's a hero, to look at his the characteristics that make him a hero can help me reflect upon myself and help myself get to a higher level. So I suppose as you think about the sports people in your life who inspire you, what is it that, that you see that they do that makes them great? And why do you admire that in them? 
Is that a characteristic you think you have yourself, or is it a characteristic you want yourself? And if so, you know, use that as a reflection tool to help you become a better person. I'm going to kind of flip this on its head right now. So if we then look at, you know, I look at Richie McCraw as an athlete, and I go, wow, look at this guy, you know, look at what, look at the hero, the warrior he is, and his, his attitude to growth and all the rest of it. But that's the only context I can put him in, because I don't know him as a person. And sometimes I wonder when it look when we look at athletes, the expectation is they're meant to be perfect people. Now, Richie McCaw, I'm sure, is a really lovely guy and all the rest of it, but I don't actually know that side of him. And I think it's when we look at our inspirations, is what we need to think about is what part of this person am I inspired by and what can I take from that? Because sometimes I feel with our sports people, I think anyone who gets put up in the in the public light, they get this perception built around them that they are almost perfect. That they, you know, they are these kind of godlike figures. You know, female, male, whatever they are, they they, they we think that because they're so great in this one area, that they're perfect in all areas of our life. And as we kind of get a little bit older and wiser, we discover these people are just people as well. And I'm sure Richie McCaw has many great personal characteristic traits, but he also probably has some really great weaknesses as well. And when we think about our inspirations, I think it's important for ourselves to realise that our inspirations are human. And we need to get a clear idea of what part of this personality, this person, should I use as inspiration to duplicate in my own life? And then where can I let them be real people? Now, I think this is important for a couple of reasons. A, you then allow yourself not to be perfect. Because, because no one is. No, no one is. No one is. No one's perfect. There's no, there's no such thing as a perfect person. Um, and, and everybody struggles at times in their lives. And, and what struggle is in different ways is totally different. But if we see someone like Richie McCaw and I think he's just a perfect person, well... I'm setting a marker for myself that I can't, it's not realistic. Whereas if I can look at Richard McCoy and say, wow, I admire this side of the personality, then I can be inspired by that, but also be realistic about what I can achieve because I understand that he's not the whole the whole perfect picture. So just, just something to think about there. Um, who are your inspirations? What do you truly, what truly inspires you about them? And what do you want to take from them, reflect upon and add to your own life? And then... What do you also need to keep in perspective around who they are as a whole person? Now, it's not that I don't think Richard McCall's a great person. I don't know the guy. I know him as a sportsman on the rugby field. And as that, he's a hero. But outside of that, I have, I have no judgment because I just don't know. So the hero on the sports field, I can admire. The person off it, I don't need to worry about that. Just some thoughts on that. Team, I've got, I've got, a, I've got an interesting show this week it's one of those ones where i'm just going to chuck a few different subjects at you not necessarily have one whole subject but um before i get into that i want to talk about my patreon page um if you want to become a patron of the show you go to bevanjamesisles.com and you will see a link to my patreon page once you've done that you go on there you click on there and you can donate as much as you want to each show that i donate uh, put out so basically what i do is every time i put out a show i just put in for a patreon donation from the people who have become patrons of the show and it's as simple as that. As I was saying that last week, months or last week's show, last fortnight show, the last show, that's what I should say. As I was saying in the last show, um, you know, hopefully over a year, I think you probably get more than a book's worth of content out of me. And if you think it's worth what you're getting from the show out of that, then, you know, if you could donate that, that'd be really, really great. And this, people like, who have I got here? I've got Michael Noak. I've got uh, Michael the Hammer Noak. I've got Phoebe the Stark Sanders. I've got Renee the Hawk Hawks. Hawes, sorry, the Hawk Hawes. <laughs> Michael Hardcore O'Kane. And uh, those are some of the people who are patrons of the show. And I've got a donation from here, a patron who signed up this, actually just today as I was doing the show. And uh, I have to say, this is an out of it name. So I've had to use my Apple. Um, on Apple, they sometimes read words out to you. So here's the Apple name. Mordecai Nikauzi. Mordecai Nikauzi, I'm thinking it is. I don't know where that name is from. I think it's a sensational name. And I thought I'd call it, uh, the nickname for Mordecai would be 
Mordecai the Marvelous Nikarski. So Mordecai, thank you so much for becoming a patron of the show. If you want to become a patron of the show, you too get a nickname from the show. And Mordecai the Marvelous has definitely been one of those today. So again, if you want to become a patron of the show, just go to bevanjamesowers.com. It really, really helps me doing what I'm doing here. And uh, yeah, so let's get into it. I'm about to put the latest episode in, the kind of main gist of the show. I did get an email that was a bit critical of last time's show, last episode, so I'm going to read that out at the end of the show and give some of my thoughts on that as well. So listen up at the end of the show around that. Here we go, let's put some music on and let's get into it. Today's show, I'm going to kind of talk about two different subjects completely different but maybe there'll be some crossover I was teaching a class an RPM class and I've often talked to you guys about how RPM which is Les Mills's spin classes is such a great class for getting inside people's heads you know it's one of those classes again I'm pretty sure I've talked about this in the past but where there's there's no movement it's really you're turning your legs around on a bike so as a constructor you get to spend a lot of time getting inside people's heads really you know like I always think about this is this podcast experience is an interesting experience because I don't know what you're doing right now like you know some of you'll be at work some of you might be out training some of you might be driving a car some of you might be doing some housework and in a way like I love podcasts I'm, I'm a person who is totally addicted to podcasts and, and audiobooks I just I just I've always got my ears in because I love the intimate experience you can have with somebody who's, you know, and I know this isn't a two-way relationship because unfortunately you don't get to talk back to me. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, there's something about this moment we're sharing together. And, you know, hopefully this show that I put on here today gets you to reflect upon your own life and, and through doing that, you get to shift as a person. Well, as an instructor in the RPM workout, it's it's probably the best fitness way that as an instructor you can have that kind of intimate experience with the people in the class. And and through the years, what I've always tried to develop was this kind of concept of, I, I call it my bat belt, my bat belt of motivational tools. Like really, when we look at Batman, what he has is he carries this belt around. And in this belt, he has all these different tools that he can use at different moments when he's fighting crime. Now, admittedly, I've <laughs> seen myself as Batman, and I'm not much of a superhero geek, but you kind of get where I'm going with this. Well, as an instructor, over the years, you're always trying to you're always trying to explore how do we help people find higher levels within themselves through your motivational tools. Now, when I first started as an instructor, I had, I had one tool yell the crap out of people uh, high energy yell that was all I did and as I evolved as an instructor I discovered many other tools so now my bat belt was full of all these different options of tools admittedly yelling with high energy still works and I definitely use it at times but now I, I, I like to think that you know this bat belt of tools I have I can use them when my class needs me and one thing that you're doing as an instructor is you're always looking at the class going what tools should I be putting out there right now like what tools going to help these people find that next level place and newer instructors don't necessarily have that ability they're just trying to get through the workout whereas an experienced instructor that you know the thing is what we say is is what you're doing as an instructor enhancing somebody's workout or obstructing it and then what tools are you using to enhance that workout and it's a really good thing for a fitness instructor to think about you know is, is what I'm bringing to this in this moment actually taking people deeper into what they're hoping to experience? Or is it pulling them away from what they're hoping to experience? And again, I know most people listening to this aren't fitness instructors, but it's a really interesting thing to think about. It's an interesting kind of thing to think about just in life. You know, like if you're at a business meeting, you know, we all like to, you know, well, we don't all, we're all different personalities, but sometimes people just add things which you know, just abstract, they aren't really adding value to it. So is what I'm doing enhancing the conversation or is it abstracting it? So just something to think about there. Well, a few years ago, Les Mills, you know, Les Mills are a very good company at continually developing their people. It's one thing I really admire about this company is that they they understand the importance of evolution. 
you know, I've been teaching for them for 16 years now, and every three months they just come up with new education and new evolutionary tools so that, you know, we're all, all the instructors in the world are growing. And it's really funny because in Les Mills, you know, the way we taught three years ago seems so old school. Like it really does. And it's just because they continually evolve us. And when a few years ago, one of the tools that they really encouraged instructors to use was this, this tool of dissatisfaction. And the concept was that dissatisfaction can be a highly motivating people thing for people to use when they're exercising. Now, in some ways, it was a bad tool for Les Mills to really encourage instructors to do because the problem was you need to be a great instructor to understand how to use dissatisfaction. And why do I say that? Well, when we look at using dissatisfaction as a motivational tool, there needs to be a rapport with the people that you're working with. And so let's say, like if I look at the people I teach my Monday morning RPM to, well, my Monday morning RPM people are the same people who have come to my workouts for years. And you'll get the odd new one. But really it's the same kind of 40, 50 people who are, you know, have come along for a long, long time. And in training with me for a long time, I've built up this massive rapport with these people. So because I have a strong rapport with them and they understand where I come from as an instructor, which is ultimately, I want you to become a better person, they trust in me to make choices around my bat belt of motivational tools to go places with them. And so as an instructor, sometimes I will say things that are showing dissatisfaction in their effort. Like sometimes I'll pull up my class and I say, you know what guys, you're not doing good enough. I'm a bit disappointed in what you're doing. Now, I'm allowed to do that because I've built a rapport and an understanding between myself and my class that, hey, you know what, I'm actually here to get you get better and the only reason I'm saying this is because I think it's really important right now. Whereas if a new instructor walks in the room and they do that straight away, it actually can push people away. And so what we found is that there was almost this negative effect of Les Mills introducing the concept of dissatisfaction into instructors because some instructors didn't know how to use that skill or they hadn't built up that connection with their audience to be able to use that skill. And unfortunately, there were some actually kind of bad incidents that happened around this which caused kind of complaints to management and stuff like that. So there was kind of, how do you introduce this, this kind of skill with motivation of dissatisfaction? Now the thing is, is that dissatisfaction can be a really motivating factor in people's lives. You know, when you think about yourself, I imagine there have been times in your life where changes come from a moment of dissatisfaction. And if we add to that, we can also say changes probably often come from insecurity. And then if we look at insecurity, if I'm going to kind of take this to a little bit of a left turn right now. So I suppose my first point is that dissatisfaction can be a quite a good motivational tool and and put in the right place at the right time it can definitely drive us to higher levels so it's a tool that if we think of your own personal motivation you know if I say that as an instructor I need my bat belt of motivational tools well I think personally you probably need motivational bat belt tool as well you know when you think about how you've motivated yourself in your life have you developed a great way of motivating yourself or, or have you just always used the same method and ultimately as you think of your own evolution towards higher self you know motivation is an important part of that and what tools are in your bat belt and when do you use those different tools yourself you know dissatisfaction can be a really great tool for doing that but then there's insecurity and insecurity is a really interesting thing. And I was teaching this class, insecurity is, you know, dissatisfied kind of saying, I know I should be doing better, and history maybe shows me I have done better, and I'm letting myself down a little bit here. Insecurity is, is more of a dislike of self, is um, it's something within yourself that you really dislike. Now, often the problem with insecurity is, it makes us put a magnifying on the glass on the area where we're really insecure and almost overemphasizes the insecurity to a point where it's not even realistic. I say that again. Insecurity has the ability for us to put a magnifying glass on the area where we are insecure and then we over put out overemphasize our focus on that area, thinking it's a lot worse than what it probably really is. 
And, and insecurity is a really interesting thing. If we think back to this whole concept of insecurity, and we think about, I have these insecurities, often what we do when we look at other people and, and with our own insecurities is we see the thing that we don't like in ourselves in them. Like when you think of when you look at people in, in a negative light, is it often really just because that's where you struggle with in yourself? Like really, think about yourself. Think about those moments when you, 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 you're, you're looking at the outside world in a way that shows insecurity in yourself. Or what you're seeing in others is something you don't like. Is it, is it ultimately something you struggle with in yourself? The other problem with, with insecurity, so there's, there's a few things. First of all, we overemphasize our worry in that part of our life. So, let, you know, we overemphasize it. And then we, when we look at the world, we look at the world showing why that's a problem. I'm, I'm, kind, of, I'm kind of going in a random place right now, but I hope that makes sense because I've got these thoughts of popping in my head as I do it. So my first point is that, you, you know, when we have insecurity, we overemphasize it. But then the second thing is because we overemphasize it, then when we look at the world, we look to see why that's a bad thing to have within our own lives. So if you're someone who's a little bit insecure about your weight, then you're looking to see people who are overweight and to see what's wrong with them to, to kind of reinforce your insecurity. The next thing that also happens is that we think because we put so much focus on this insecurity that we're in, we think that that's how the other world, the whole world sees us. We think that that's the main area. When people look at us, the first thing they think is the thing that I'm in security in, I'm, I have insecurity in. So again, if you're overweight, when your world looks at you, you think all they can see is my overweight. If you feel a little bit, like my spelling, you know, I've talked to you guys a lot about my, my lack of spelling. And I remember when I first, you know, to be honest, I'm not so insecure about my spelling nowadays, but I remember when I was younger and I remember when I first started doing some public speaking and doing writing on a, on a whiteboard, I'd often get feedback from people who were giving me kind of feedback on my speaking was that um, it was always really scribbled, always really rushed, and it didn't really add value to my talks. And that was because I felt so insecure that I thought everyone could see this side of myself, so I'd rush it and I, I wouldn't take my time. And it was all a bit of disaster because I thought that they could see the side of myself because that was the area that was so obvious to me that was a struggle. So again, when you think about the area where you're insecure, is there too much focus on that? Do you look at your world in a way that reinforces your focus, which is probably imbalanced? So do you, you know, do you again, do you look at the world and see the people who are overweight? But then ultimately, do you think that your world is always judging you on your insecurities? Do you think that when people think of you, the main thing they focus on is the side of yourself that you really struggle with? So I'm teaching this RPM class a few weeks ago. And... It, and it made me, I was thinking of this whole concept that I'm talking to you about today. And as I was teaching the class, I discovered one of my new motivational tools, one of my bit belt kind of ideas that I added in there. And I had a song on where it was kind of, you know, uh, no real singing or, or kind of dance music, but dance music in a way that was kind of introspective dance music. You know, imagine like a Tiesto, someone like that, you know, where the music's kind of instrumental, building, pulls back, you know, there's highs, lows, crescendos, all this kind of stuff was happening. And the moment came in the, in the music where the music was telling the people that it's time to recover, but be prepared because we're about to go on a, on a challenging journey. And, and as an instructor, you, th those are the moments. Those are the moments you capture and you make sure that you use them in a really powerful way to help prepare people for the intensity that they're going to chase and, and to you know, set those standards. And as I set up, uh, this, this thought had been in my head a lot recently and, and I got set up and I just thought, I want to talk about this. I, I want to do something else. So I, so I out of nowhere, and, and I, uh, to be honest, I'm a bit of a spontaneous instructor, so I often pull lots of crap out of my butt. And uh, out of nowhere, I, I said this. I said, many of us worry about what people think about us. 
we are concerned about what they say about us and how it might be bad. But what we sometimes forget is that many see the good in us. When people think about you, they see great things. When they talk about you, they share these with others. What are the good things people say about you? What are the things in your life that others admire? Why are other people's lives better because you are in it? In the next section, I want you to show me your good, your great, the side of yourself that others talk about with admiration. The music came on and I let them go. Man, these people smash themselves. And that's, you know, that's if I pulled out my bat belt and I've done the right job, you look up and you just see a room full of people destroying themselves physically. And that, that, that sentence or that, those words that I use seem to be the perfect bat tool to pull out at that moment to help them achieve their goal. If I, if I take a step back to this whole idea of my insecurities, my insecurities make me focus too much on the area I'm insecure, make me see the world reinforcing my insecure, and make me think that my world only sees me in that light. We can see that we're being very unfair on ourselves in our lives. We can be very, very unfair on ourselves when we consider what others see in us and think of us. Now, it's not to say that your insecurities aren't real. There's probably truth to our insecurities. You know, I think all of us at times in our life have insecurities, and obviously there's there's different levels around that. But, but you know, there probably is some truth to your insecurities to some level. It's just the level that you put on it is probably totally unfair on yourself. And when we consider how other people see us, they may see your insecurities, but I doubt many people would be as focused on the insecurities that a lot of people have and see in themselves as what those people see. You know, your friends, the people in your life, they may know, like if you're overweight, they may know, they, they see you're overweight. But do you think that's the only way they see you? Do you think that they offer that they think that you offer so much more to their life than just the thing that you're so concerned about within yourself? It's always an interesting kind of thought experiment to go and think about how you think about other people. And do that right now. Think about a really good friend in your life right now. Think about maybe a family member, a friend, someone who you know to a real high level. Now, do you think you know their insecurities? You probably have an idea. You know, we're, 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 when you stop and think about people, we're, we're often quite obvious in where we struggle. But how much of that insecurity in that person affects the way you see them and the way you value them in your life? I imagine when you consider the other people in your life, that's just a part of who they are. And as a friend, as a family member, as someone in their life, you kind of just accept that part of them. But you also know that, hey, they offer so much more than that. And if we can start to see that's the case in other people, maybe we need to start working on that within ourselves and our own insecurities. When we can start to understand that we don't, we, we don't see other people in that light. We don't see people as just the one insecurity that they have. That actually we're, we're way more accepting of the whole and the person we're most hardest on in our insecurities is ourself. Then if we can have that perspective, maybe we can become better at, at decreasing the focus on the area we're insecure. It's a really important thing to think about. Now there's a few things to think about decreasing the focus. Well the first thing is, is that if you do have an insecurity, and I've talked about this a lot in the show in the past, but if you do have an insecurity in your life, work on it. You know, like, work on it. Do the work to overcome the insecurity and and often don't just do it by yourself or like work on it by yourself but get a great support network around you and all of those types of things but at the same time work on the insecurities now some insecurities you'll never have to overcome you know some are just about working on accepting myself as that way accepting that this is a part of my life that I'm going to deal with for the rest of my life but some insecurities can be overcome you know weight gain weight can be lost it's not easy, it takes time, and you need great support and, you know, kind of a, a journey kind of attitude towards achieving it, but it can be overcome. And if you were to work on it with a kind of vigorous energy, you would, you know, maybe the insecurity would move away from your life. 
So there's this aspect of me working on overcoming my insecurity practically. But then there's also this, this, this concept of me allowing myself to accept that no, my world never sees me as hard as I see myself in the areas I'm insecure. And ultimately, I want to diminish or decrease the amount of focus that I'm putting on this area. And then as I look at the world, so it's, you know, if I go back to the three areas, the first area was, well, how much focus am I putting on this area? How do I look at my world based on me reinforcing that focus? And then how do I think my world thinks of me because of my insecurity? Well, if you can use that thought thing of how do I see my world, you can start to understand that actually no one's kind of being as hard on me around my insecurities as what I am myself. And I can let go of that a little bit. There's that whole Dalai Lama thing, which I love, which is when you realize everyone is suffering, it's easier to accept your own suffering. And, uh, you know, I think there's some good that can come from that thinking to realize that, you know, everyone's got their thing and we can all be accepting of each other. So there's that aspect of it. Then I think the other thing is to to train yourself that when you are looking at the world to reinforce why you should focus on your insecurity, is to teach yourself to remove your focus from that place and to try to find other areas to focus on. So if you are looking at people in the area you're insecure on, is to train yourself, no, this is not a good focus because it's reinforcing the overwhelming insecurity I feel within myself. And then lastly, when you do keep reinforcing how big this insecurity is within you, catch it and develop tools that allow you to offload and move to a better place. It's almost, you, you, it's almost like what you want to do is start to, start to learn how much time in your life your insecurity is owning within you. Like really, when you, when you think about how much focus you put on the area you're insecure, can you put a percentage on that? You know, let's say right now, actually, I feel insecure in, in, I don't know, let's say in my intelligence in my life. And actually, I spend quite a few hours of my life thinking about my lack of intelligence, that I'm not good enough in an intellectual way. And really, I might say that it's, you know, 30% of my time, 40% of my time, actually, I'm consumed by my insecurity. Well, how do I take that down to, to 20%? Now, I don't think it's just something you can go, well, suddenly it stops. I think you've got to think about what tools are going to help me do that. Uh, it might be through some counselling. It might be through some support by other people. It might be some through some reflective work. It might be through doing the work that I talked about before, you know, like actually overcoming the insecurity. But over time, if I can learn to put this insecurity in a much more realistic place, what do you think the benefits of that are? <laughs> they're massive because if you remove if you give yourself let's say you got it down to 10% you might not ever totally let go but ultimately that would be the goal but let's say you get down to 10% and how have you done that well you've learnt when I'm going to this place of my insecurity where it's over consuming me in my life it's making me look at the world and where I'm only seeing that thing in others and thinking others are only judging me on that and I've learnt oh I'm here then I need to use these tools to get through it. And I diminish that time to a place where it's now, you know, 5 10% of my time. I have 30% of my energy now to put into other areas of my life that, that can be used to empower me in really powerful ways. And imagine what you can do with that time. It's funny, as I talk about this, I had a client a while ago who had, it's fair to say, some some pretty big insecurities. And... and um, and justified. There were there were reasons for these insecurities which were massive, and we worked together for about two years, and it was a, it was a long journey for this person. But they got through these insecurities to a point where, by the end of it, um, it was powerful. Man, this this person had changed, and one of the things this person talked about was how this aspect of insecurity. I don't want to reveal too much because obviously it was a bit personal, but um, this aspect of insecurity in their life had consumed them their whole life. And this is like for years. And suddenly, it was no longer there. And now they were spending time developing themselves in this really cool and exciting way. And, and suddenly they were excited about their future. And that's what this can do for you. So I suppose, if I'm going to wrap today's talk up, 
we all need motivational tools and, and through my kind of never-ending journey of trying to find my belt of motivational tools, I, 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 I kind of fell upon one around reinforcing that people see good in us. And something about that moment helped those people in front of me go to a higher level. It was really quite rewarding. And what that made me really discover was that I think a lot of us put way too much emphasis on the, on the things that we think are wrong with us. And a disproportionate amount of our focus goes on that. And because the disproportionate amount of our focus goes on that, we look at the world and see that in every area. And we think that the, the only way our world sees us is in the area that we struggle with. Now, I guarantee that's disproportionate to the facts. I guarantee that the world sees you in, in lots of positive ways, and lots of great ways. And your job is to think of that time that I set in my insecurities and, and to try to diminish it. Now, maybe eventually if you can get to total acceptance of self, that would totally disappear. But that's your job. And then through that, your, your job is to create some tools in your life that help you keep perspective, to develop ways to maybe overcome insecurities that can be overcome. And then with this freer mind space, to replace it with things that empower, excite, grow you in, in really quite powerful ways. Imagine if you did that. Imagine if the thing that consumed you in, in ways that could be quite restrictive, because I haven't even talked about the restrictions of this, but you know, if you're sitting here listening and kind of sitting in it today, you know this restricts you. You really do. Imagine if that was gone. I guarantee if it was, you'd definitely be that better version of yourself. Okay, that's, that's, well, it's not kind of the finish of the day. I didn't end up doing the second subject because I looked at the clock and I realised I've kind of waffled on for a little bit. So, so um, I, and I also want to answer this email. So I, I didn't actually go into the second subject there, but I'll, I'll get into that in the future. You guys will hear that in the future at some stage. On that front, I didn't necessarily talk about the tools in today's talk. I just kind of really wanted to get this kind of concept of how much does your insecurities own you and how are you being unrealistic and unfair ways to yourself because of that. And if you can allow yourself to see yourself in the real light of how the world sees you and, and what you really represent to the world, what would that do for you? And now when we look at the tools around this, around how do you allow that yourself to diminish those insecurities, um, there's, there's so many, and, and I, I like the approach of what I talked about with my bat belt of motivational tools, that to learn that in the different situations, what tools to come in, to be honest, I, I could probably list them off right now, but actually it's probably a little bit of trial and error. You know, if you reflect upon your life right now, you'll probably you know come up with some things that have worked in the past, and then you can explore other times in your life and new kind of tools that you can add. But ultimately, often it's, it's knowing that there are tools and to go towards those tools in the time of need and those insecure times. So um, hopefully some stuff to think about there. And I definitely feel, um, yeah, I definitely feel this is an area that's really important. So last month, I, or two weeks ago on this episode, I had an interview with uh, the author of The Gluten Lie, and um, I did get some, I got lots of good feedback to be honest, but I did get an email that was a little bit critical of it, and I said, can I respond to your email on the show? And this person said, I'd love to hear your thoughts, so I'm going to pull that up right now, so let me just pause and be back in a second. Okay, I got, a, I got an email through from Michelle Wright from Tasmania in Australia. And uh, she was just saying she got some feedback on the podcast I did a couple of weeks ago with the author of The Gluten Lie. And she just got, when you introduced your podcast, the feeling I first got was that I didn't want to listen. But I remember hearing something years ago that Hitler would only read what was in line with his own thinking. So I gave the podcast a go. <laughs> it is true. We do, that kind of confirmation bias is, a, is something that we all kind of get caught up in. I certainly agree that the whole philosophy of critical thinking and remember that people will supply facts to self-direct their product. But the interview became its own example of this when you and your guests both agreed that all people who go on the paleo were probably just eating a lot of junk anyway and felt better because they were suddenly eating healthy. That's when I turned off, so apologies if any of the following was covered in this point. There are podcasts and people out there who have been top level athletes and changed over to one of these lifestyles after hammering their bodies with what was being the traditional diet or considered the right way to do things. 
Examples of these are Mark Sissons, uh, Albert James, Jimmy Moore's Live in a Vida Low Carb Show is aimed at the more general public, but analyzes why people end up addicted to junk food in the first place. And this is a man who is critical of scientific studies and the way where they are conducted. Professor Tim Noakes is probably the most impressive example of someone who has changed their thinking after so many years. And what I hear across all of these podcasts is that no one diet is right for everyone. They are always emphasizing that you have to find what works for you. I know you don't talk about nutrition on a show, but the above may be some interest to you personally. So I'm a little disappointed on the whole paleo community was put down because it has changed a lot of people's lives for the better, but I still appreciate your critical thinking and your courage to air this podcast. So I'm definitely not cancelling my subscription to Fitness Behavioral. First of all, Michelle, thank you for not cancelling. You know, this, 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 I think this is the problem with nutrition right now. Now, I didn't think it was that we were that too much good. I think my point was fear when I made that I made on the show. This guy did have a really poor diet, and if if you got him to change those diets in any ways, you know, like paleo could have taken the credit for that, and I, you know, and obviously it worked. Um, but at the same time, if you change that diet, like I don't think my I was being too harsh on paleo in that moment. We do live in a very very fascinating time around diets because the low carb, high fat diet, you know, research does seem to be shifting the way we think around diet Um, and when we look at what's happening around diet if you look at the Australian nutritional guidelines have changed recently that really kind of started to shift towards this low carb higher fat kind of diet Um, the the struggle I I have and and, and like even if we look at Tim Noakes as an example Tim Noakes is for those who don't know much about Tim Noakes he's probably one of the most respected athletic thinkers in the world he's written some amazing books and an extremely extremely a wise man someone who we've actually interviewed him on my other podcast and at one time in the past and he's just a great man and what tim noakes always says is you know is is the you know the low fat low carb high fat diet correct and he says well no diet is correct for anybody and the low carb high fat is best for people who are insulin resistant and i think that the, this, this, the, and, and I think this is the dilemma that I have right now in this world is that there's people out there who are selling the solution that's saying that their way is the only solution and I don't know if that's the case now again as, as I stated at the beginning of the show I'm not a qualified nutritionist I'm, I'm a, I have a PT level of nutrition. I can definitely, I've helped people lose weight and I've seemed to make that, that you've been quite successful at doing that over the years. But I'm not a qualified nutritionist. So I'm not someone who can sit here and say, I know everything about nutrition. I struggle when we get people who say, their way is the only way. And I think that in the world right now, there is a lot of people out there who are making a lot of money claiming their way is the only way. But at the same time, in fairness to those people, a lot of the times the methods they promote work. Uh, the no sugar thing, which which seems to be the buzz right now, like people who remove sugar from their life do tend to lose weight. Um, and so, you know, you kind of, how can you be critical of if, if, if it works? I'm just not sure if... I think that what we're seeing is that these, these diets are... Becoming, like, if you look at research, every diet works. If you, if you, like, there's a study done, I can't remember when it was, but there was a study done a while ago, and it basically showed that every diet works. Every diet works. If you can get someone to stick to a diet, it's, it, you know, they're going to achieve weight loss. It was, it's kind of mind-blowing. What I don't know is if saying that paleo is the solution for everything, is that the answer that we should be exploring, or should we be exploring is what is the right diet for you and how do you figure that out and explore ways to do that so you can set that in stone in your life and figure that out for you. And there does need to be a continual kind of uh, group of people who are trying to research what the greatest advice is, you know, and, and you're far out. We, we, we could be opening so many doors right now because we can look at influence on study. We can, you know, there's, you know, all these kind of, doors that we can look at that can be opened here and that's why I, st- I try to stay away from nutrition because you just you end up bloody just having these battles with people about you know it's different things but I suppose the, the thing that I my thing is is are we taking our focus off the wrong thing and ideally we want the greatest thinkers in nutrition to do the greatest research to give us the best advice that we can make and then from that 
what we want to do is we want to really have to, with your own journey in life, is to fit, figure out a relationship around food that is gives you a healthy body, that gives you a healthy mindset around food, that doesn't limit you in life. And that ultimately, if you can have that kind of mindset around food, and I actually do think it's quite an individual thing. I do think that um, there is no one size fits all when it comes to diet. And so I suppose that's, that's my point, Michelle, was that ultimately the reason I wanted to get the author on was because there are a lot of people out there who are selling diets and, and making a lot of money using the techniques he talked about. And is that actually deferring us away from what we should be focusing on? Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of where I come through from this. And um, I do think it is important that we understand these techniques and that so we can have a better perspective around what we should be focusing on when it comes to making choices in these areas does that mean i think paleo is a bad thing no you know i i, I think it has helped a lot of people do i think it's the answer for very far from it um and i do think that you know, there is a continual body of work coming out there from the greatest nutritional thinkers in the world um which is an evolving thing so yeah i don't know i'm, I'm not sure if i really answered your question there michelle it's Definitely a hard subject, and uh, and I do I do worry. One thing I will say, which I said last time, is I worry when people's personality is based on the food they eat. I do think that's a real danger we see in today's world right now. Is that people wear these badges of honour around based on the diet that they eat, and that can shut them off to different perspectives and important work around that stuff. So yeah, hopefully. Hopefully, I gave you the answer there, Michelle. I don't know if I did because, to be honest, I don't know if I have the answer. But I just know ah, it's a difficult area. Anyway, uh, team, if you enjoy my show, you can become a patron of the show. Once again, go to bevanjamesisles.com and we've got the patron link right there. Also, if you have any questions, you can email me at bevanjames at gmail.com. Uh, spread the word about the show. It's always uh, yeah, it's always cool if you can tweet or you know share a Facebook post that I put up there or tell your friends about this podcast and uh, yeah. Hopefully you enjoyed today's show. I'll have an interview on for you guys in a couple of weeks. So you guys have a great couple of weeks and I'll see you guys real soon. Bye.